All right. Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Blasios Bunch. I am your host, Chris Blasios, alongside Jack Sirwanka. All right. So, of course, we had our World Series special on Friday, previewing what was going to be an excellent fall classic. So far, it has been. And, of course, since our last Sunday discussion, there's been plenty of football to discuss, as well as those first three games that we mentioned. With that being said, Jack, what do you want to start with today? Let's start with discussing the World Series. All righty. Well, currently we are at the point of handling this podcast. We're in the middle of Game 3 of this exciting World Series so far. We're at 1-1 one to one in the overall series. And as of my last check, yes, it is still true. 3 nothing Rangers currently. Who do you think is going to win this? This game? This series. I know you picked the Diamondbacks a couple days ago. Well, and you know what? I'm I'm still sitting at the Diamondbacks. I mean, to me, it's... I have not... Nothing has changed my my belief that these Diamondbacks can get it done. We discussed Brandon Fott, in, you know, extensively. And, you know, did he give up... A home run. He was he was knocked out, you know, with Corey Seager's home run to make it a three nothing ball game. But really, this Diamondbacks team has fought and clawed and has bounced back from every piece of adversity that this playoff has thrown their way, and they've come back stronger for it every time. I, I don't think even losing Game Three, which is you know it's far from settled anyway, but even losing this game doesn't change that. They have a great shot to win this series. I am still going to go with the Rangers, but I'm going to give the Diamondbacks a lot of credit just to start off. The Diamondbacks and the Rangers are slightly different of teams in terms of how they're playing. The Diamondbacks are a much more star-filled team, and the stars, most of them are producing at the big stage. However, the Diamondbacks are slightly different because... There aren't as many huge names that pop off the list, but all of them are producing. The only player who is consistently in the starting lineup who does not have a 700 OPS or higher is Christian Walker. And he hit a double earlier today. And if only one of your nine guys does not have a 700 OPS, that is saying something. Especially when one, two, three... Four, five of your guys have over 800. I mean, that sums it up as well as I possibly could have. It is, it's a situation where these guys are succeeding by committee. And those kind of teams are typically those lovable underdog teams, but they don't tend to get to the World Series. And, and that just makes it more and more incredible every time you look at the fact that the Diamondbacks are playing in the Fall Classic because and they have a long road ahead next season as far as being able to get out of the National League again. But my goodness, you know, they're positioned very well this season and they can still get it done. What a random run it would be. Did you hear that Cattell Marte recently broke the hit streak record in playoffs in playoff games with 18 straight? Well, and look at Cattell Marte. He's a guy who, when you think of star players in the MLB, I don't think a lot of people get to Cattell Marte particularly quickly. You know, I mean, 
he is not a household name unless you're in Arizona. And he's a player who's really, really good, but I don't think that many people know it. And so to see him come in and have a record that is that important, like a hit streak record in postseason history, in a sport that's had 120 years of its modern era to compare off of, my goodness, is that an impressive statistic. I think if you ask most people coming into this playoffs, to name five people on the Diamondbacks, most casual fans who didn't live in Arizona and didn't consider themselves Diamondbacks fans, they would not be able to name five. I think that they would get Corbin Carroll, maybe Cattell Marte, maybe. I don't even think they'd get Evan Longoria just because not enough people even know he's still playing. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And there's people... You know, and and then there's that next tier of fans that's going to know your, you know, your Perdomos, your Guriels, your Walkers, and then you know Kelly. But there's a lot of players on this team that are completely unknown by a lot of people. And there's guys like Emmanuel Rivera who I didn't know until the start of this season. So even I'm learning to some extent. Coming into next season, doesn't matter who wins this series. How many people do you think are going to be picking one of these two teams to win? Because these aren't the typical teams that you would see in the playoffs. I think a lot of people think that they just got lucky and in a way that they did. But at the same time, they're still talented teams. I, I think that even if the Diamondbacks open with a top three odds in the National League to come out, I would be shocked which is incredible because almost always the pennant winner opens with at least a top three odd to repeat. And I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to have that at all because there's a lot of teams who they snuck in ahead of in the National League to barely make it that are going to be out for blood next season, my Chicago Cubs being one of them. And in addition, you have so many division winners who performed much better in the regular season that are right there next season, which is why I emphasize when you have these Cinderella runs like the Rangers, the Diamondbacks have had, it isn't enough to just get there, you know, because getting there is already so hard. It's so tough to not come away with a win. And that's why it's nice that one of these two will win, for sure. You brought up the Rangers, and I think if they win this series, the number one storyline that people will be talking about is the fact that they signed Jacob deGrom and still won. And I have a couple of opinions on that. One, it is impressive that they won without their quote-unquote ace, who was there for barely any time at all. But at the same time, we have to consider for the future years that he's likely not going to be here again, or not for a very long time. Because there, there are players that you just have to know. When you sign them, there is a high chance that they get injured. Whether it's just their thing, they're old, whatever it is, you have to know that. And Jacob deGrom is one of those players. And coming into next year, I think a lot of people ignore that. And a lot of people just say, oh, it's not his fault that he gets injured, which is true, but you still have to plan around it. They are going to overhype the Rangers even more because they, first of all, took the pennant and possibly the series. 
then now it's like they're adding Jacob deGrom all over again. Yeah, that's a, that's a valid concern as far as a overrating of the Rangers into the coming year, especially considering just that they, you know, have had a fairly incomplete roster construction and they are relying on a lot of veterans. But, you know, it is going to be interesting to see who kind of opens with the narrative that they will win the pennant this season. It's, of course, going to depend so much on what the Diamondbacks and Rangers, as well as the rest of the league, do in the offseason. As a lot of teams are going to be deciding their new directions in the coming year. And, uh, you know, that'll be fascinating to look at. How do you think Evan Carter will stand the test of time? You know, Carter is somebody who had prestige as a a prospect, but at the same time, he came up very early. And again, baseball history is littered with people who came up too early and were kind of forced out of their natural progression progress and and has never benefited them. So I would be cautiously but still optimistic, though, about the odds of Evan Carter just because he's been so impressive. Anything else you'd like to add on to the series? I think we're more or less good for the World Series here. So with that being said, why don't we jump into a little bit of the NFL here? Sounds good. Would you like to give us our weekly rundown? Oh, that would make me the happiest man alive. (laughs) We had another very fun week of uh, NFL football. Wherein, you know what, everything that one one thinks is going to happen didn't happen, and everything that you didn't think would happen, it's happened. Fun, fun, fun. Thursday night was more or less chalk as the Bills beat the Buccaneers 24-18. Then the Eagles did what they always do, struggle against the Commanders but escape 38-31. The Saints handled Indianapolis 38-27 to push the Colts to last place in the South. The Jaguars handled Pittsburgh 20-10. to The Texans were just barely bested by the Panthers in a crushing loss that reduces the Texans' playoff of, uh, opportunities immensely while the Panthers get that first win. The Dolphins beat out the Patriots 31-17. to The Titans, under a shocking performance from Will Levis, improved to 3-4, and beating the first-place Falcons 28-23. to The Vikings... Dominate Green Bay at Lambeau 24 to 10, but lose Kirk Cousins in the progress. In the process, pardon. The Cowboys blew out Los Angeles 43 to 20. The Jets beat the Giants in the punt bowl 13 to 10. The Seahawks beat out my Cleveland Browns 24 to 20. Well, my second team. The Broncos shocked the world and beat the Chiefs in a convincing 24 to 9 fashion. The Bengals shocked the Niners 31-17. The Ravens barely held on in Arizona to beat the Cardinals 31-24. And our Chicago Bears were mauled yesterday by the Los Angeles Chargers 30-13, while the Lions currently possess a 6-0 lead against the Raiders with the ball with 8.5 in the second quarter. So I think the most interesting matchup here that we have to discuss is the Chiefs losing and how that affects the AFC. So... And this is the mid-season mark. The mid-season mark is always a very fun time for me. 
because it means it's time for me to get stupid. This is about that time where I start to make ridiculous predictions that I either get praised for or completely roasted for, and we're about to get it. All right, let's hear it. The Jaguars are my pick to come out of the AFC this year. Okay. In spite of a one two start and getting blown out by uh, Indiana, excuse me, with Houston, it doesn't matter. I see the Jags as the team that has the best chance of going the distance in the AFC and getting to the Super Bowl. Jack, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's very possible, but I don't think that it is the number one option. Not my number one option. If anything, there are about two or three teams that really stand out to me as possible contenders to come out over them. The number one team that I'm looking at is the Cincinnati Bengals. They have won their third straight. They've beaten the 49ers, and they have officially bounced back. Joe Herbert is the same guy, or Joe Burrow is the same guy that we have seen for many, many years. And the defense is all right. And the offensive line has finally improved with all of the additions that it has made. So my rebuttal against the Bengals quickly is that I just don't see a world where, you know, a team that has struggled mightily against its own division is going to be able to handle that. I don't think the Bengals are going to be able to handle the Jaguars. And we will get a little bit of a preview on December 4th. They, uh, they will do battle on Monday Night Football, and that is a good, good thing to see for football fans. And that'll be a fun game. It's a must-watch. With that being said, the Jaguars, to me, really do stand as the best team in the AFC because I see a, in, a surging quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Travis Etienne has established himself as one of, if not the premier back in the conference and definitely in his division. Even over two running backs that have historically been better in Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. And this Jaguars defense is going back to the days of Saxonville, not quite to the same extent, but they have been really, really good. And to me, nobody is actually making much of a case that these guys can't get it done. Now, Jaguars, how should you feel that I've just predicted that you're going to win? I have no idea, because the last time I said an AFC South team was going to go on a run, they lost every game remaining on their schedule. However, I have a long streak of being kind of good at this, so take that streak with a grain of salt, Jacksonville. I choose you. I think Miami, especially if they get hot at the right time and are able to maintain this, they could also make it. They've pretty much got the division in the bag unless they blow it. Yeah, I agree. But as soon as playoff time comes, I think that's when they need to get hot and the offense really needs to make a stand more than they ever have before. And the defense is always usually consistent, except against the Bills. They have held really every team against the Bills, except the Bills and the Chargers, to under 20 points. The Eagles got 31. And the Eagles. But still. But that's, but that's my problem. But that's my problem 
with the whole deal in the first place is that every time they play anybody worth anything, they give up the points. So the defense looks good in garbage time against bad teams, but in reality, they aren't worth as much as I think a lot of people think they are. The Jaguars have more quality wins than Miami. That is true. I still think the Bengals are still on the rise, though. Yeah, you've heard my wild prediction. I'm standing by it. I'm not moving off of that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very protective of my picks. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the Bears game as they officially still stink. Yeah. Oh, well. The Bears were crushed 30-13 to in a game that pretty much made me sick to my stomach in every way, shape, and form. Now, this discussion is going to start <laughs> in the way that it has to start. And Jack, Jack has been listening to me talk for about 60 weeks about this. So forgive him because he can probably tell you word for word what I'm about to say. But uh, everybody else gets the pleasure of hearing this. So this is going to start with a thank you to our viewers for their interaction and their viewership of the Tyson Bajan videos. We are so happy as uh, the, the the Tyson Bajan video where it is entitled Why Tyson Bajan Wins uh, is approaching 8,000 views while the other is approaching four as, as of my last look. Again, we really, really appreciate that. We can't make that clear enough. Some of the interaction has become, in a way, over the last night after our loss, uh, we, you know, we took some heat for our instant praise of Tyson Bajan. Did we not? It was deserved. I think it was. But you know what wasn't deserved? This random outpouring of Justin Fields' support. Where on earth did this come from? Please, please, please explain to me why the Division Two undrafted quarterback sucking makes Justin Fields a better play. It just made the Bears worse. Because if you're out here celebrating that Tyson Bajan failed, congratulations. Now we get to go back to the guy who's 6-25 and 25 in his career as the Bears quarterback. What I don't understand is the fact that there is a legitimate argument that the fact that Justin Fields is better than Tyson Bajan is a selling point. What on earth? Justin Fields, the fact that it is not abundantly clear who the best quarterback on the Bears is right now is proving my exact point that Justin Fields is not a franchise quarterback. We are seeing across the league that that quarterbacks who are playing in poor fashion, Reed, Desmond Ritter, Reed, Ryan Tannehill, they're being removed. Justin Fields has been removed as well. He's been scratched again by Matt Eberflus in favor of Tyson Bajan. And I don't think that that's any accident. Sure, this is the third week in a row, and maybe you're going to still claim that it's his thumb and they want him to be 100%. But let me ask you this. If they really, if, if he was playing at the level of Trevor Lawrence, who is, you know, the golden boy of that draft class, would he be sitting? My money says no. That proves my entire point. Justin Fields is a bust because we have to compare him to a guy who last year was playing in front of 400 people. Finis. 
The end. I want to call out this comment that I thought was one of the stupidest comments that we have ever received, arguably the stupidest. And we it, love you for watching this before we make fun of you. Uh, carry on. And, all right, so your comment was D1 versus D2, laughing emojis. $18 million versus $2 million, more laughing emojis. You are not benching Fields when he is healthy. Facts. And right. the fact that you had to bring up the money proves disproves your entire point. Oh, um, congratulations, everyone. This sack of crap that's making more money, we're more pot committed than we are to the other sack of crap who isn't making any money. I am going to bring this to a baseball example. Miguel Cabrera, at one point in time, one of the best players that we've ever seen, and still is if you look at historical. But now, it is not the same. Last year, he was making $31 million. That is more than most first basemen in the league. But that does not mean that last year, he was better than most first basemen in the league. He was tanking his stats at that point. And all due respect to Miguel Cabrera, but he was washed at this point, and it's the same way with Justin Fields. Just because he was a D1 athlete doesn't mean he's one of the, he's going to succeed in the NFL. And just because and, and he's getting paid a lot of money doesn't mean that he's worth the money. There is a thing called being overpaid, and that's what Justin Fields is. Yeah. Yeehaw. Because we messed, we messed up on thinking he was better than he was, now we suddenly have to pretend that he's good so that we can't admit we made a mistake. I think that's nonsense. Also, with this logic, you are pretty much saying that Brock Purdy is a terrible quarterback. Yep, Sam Darnold should be starting. He's making more money. Yep, exactly. That is what's wrong with this comment. Truly a horrible comment. Corey Littleton should be a Pro Bowl linebacker because some dum-dums decided to give him $70 million. <laughs> Christian Kirk is the best wide receiver in football. Uh, you know, what other blasphemies can I commit? Kyler Murray, logic? Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in the AFC West. That was a truly almost disgraceful comment. And that was one of the worst reasonings that I have ever heard. We love you, though. We promise, you know, sort of. Kind of. Speak for yourself. We, you know, we, we, we want to, but please, but please understand that there are other comments that are saying, I hope that Fields leaves and y'all are stuck with bacon. No, 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 no. Nobody wants to be stuck with Tyson Bacon. You will not find one Bears fan who is, who is satisfied with the plan being Tyson Bacon. That is an absurd third fallacy because it shouldn't have been an either or a choice the bottom line is and this is an important topic lock this in people the entire point of tyson bajan being the backup quarterback was to ensure fields that he was unopposed this season and that he was unequivocally the best quarterback on this team and that it was his job no matter the ups no matter the downs and that after this season would be when the evaluation was and that there would be no substitutions during the season. 
However, Fields did the one thing that was possible for him to get off the field. That was getting hurt, which he has done every year of his career. Then he was, frankly, outplayed in the first game of a rookie undrafted quarterback's career. Was he playing Brian Hoyer? Sure. Did Justin Fields blow a game against Denver? He sure did. And Bajan didn't. So when you look at that, it's like, okay, Justin Fields is it's just a guy who has to go. It is not about it being Bajan. It's a guy who, no matter who has come in, I mean, Justin Fields did not rightfully win the job in 2021. He was outplayed by Foles and Dalton that season. In 2022, it was a hodgepodge of people against a raises confidence. And again, if he can't beat the people who are literally installed to make him feel more confident, it's time to be done. Thank you, Bears fans. We're done. And if you are going to say that he constantly gets injured because of the offensive line, I have released many stats against this, and I have yet another. Self-calculated, by the way, and very accurate. Okay, so if you go by sacks taken per game since 2021 on the Bears, Fields has taken 3.48 sacks per game. All the other quarterbacks in the 20 games that Dalton, Foles, Peterman, or Peterson, whatever his name was, and Bajant have played. Instead of 3.48, they take 1.4. And it is the same offensive line, and we know that this offensive line, not in their meeting in their meetings, are not saying, all right, we're going to protect all these quarterbacks except Fields because we don't like that guy. That's not happening. If you put it in perspective against other teams, with Fields as our quarterback, we have easily the worst offensive line, and the second worst is only giving up 3.14. That's the Commanders. If we have had our backups in this entire time since 2021, we have the second best offensive line. Only the Buccaneers with 1.37 sacks per game are better. Yeah, this is a, you know, this is a real nonsense. You know, all of this stuff, the Bears' offensive line. This point against the line has already been proven to be nonsense. And yet people will want to continue to perpetuate it. And you know what? To some extent, oh well. <laughs> Sometimes it's like it's hard to it's hard to keep fighting the same battle on that, you know, seriously. But we try. We really try. Now with that being said, there's one more comment, the one more set of comments that really does need to be addressed. And, and this should be this should be understood. It is beyond me that there's comments that are claiming bigotry as the reason that Justin Fields is hated on this channel. For the love of God, if you want to make something political or racial that was never about anyone's race in the first place, maybe it's time to take a big old look in the mirror. Because I'll tell you something, the guy I'm lobbying for is Caleb Williams, geniuses. And my second favorite in the class is Michael Penix. So, you know, next argument, bozos. For real. That argument's upsetting. Well said. Yeah, that argument's a cop-out. You want to come up with anything else? You know, 
you know, who's the best quarterback in the league? Patrick Mahomes. I didn't have a problem saying that. So, you know, Justin Fields sucking. You know, if he was white, he'd still suck. If he was Mexican, he'd suck. It doesn't matter. He sucks. And that is also well said. <laughs> there you go. With that being said, uh, I would like to end on just a note of positivity for Chicago football. As the Northwestern Wildcats amazingly pulled off a shocking win against Maryland, 33-27, outdueling Tolea Tagovailoa, the younger brother, of course, of Tua, who had been off to a 5-0 and start and was receiving significant uh, attention nationally. The uh, Northwestern here really could make a bowl game in a season where really nothing went right. Pat Fitzgerald, their legendary head coach, who pretty much put their football program on the map, was fired. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and yet they're looking at a 4-4 four and four team with a couple quality wins on the schedule. Good for them. I agree. Before we go, I want to hear your comments on one thing. The trade deadline in the NFL is less than 24 hours away. What is your opinion on the trade deadline? So, nothing. I don't have much of an opinion to have. This is one of my biggest problems with the NFL. And, uh, you know, when we are doing podcasts for the MLB trade deadline, it'll just be more action. It's frustrating how little has happened. I agree. And every year, the trade deadline makes such a little dent in the effect of the season. And every other league's trade deadline is 10 times more exciting. And this, the NFL trade deadline, I just don't really care about. I don't think it makes that much of an impact. No real big names like huge names ever move and it's because these teams don't go into as much of a rebuild as teams in other sports are doing it's just not how football is you don't tank to the point of almost no return where you're going to be garbage for years and years not like that if you're bad it's usually mistakenly bad Agreed. And and looking at, you know, the biggest trade with Kevin Byard heading to the Eagles, that's a good win. And then other than that, you know, um, the Seahawks were fleeced. They gave up a second and a fifth for Leonard Williams. I think that's a stupid move. But, you know, the Seahawks are making a push this year, and they're willing to overpay. So, you know, I guess not bad. I agree. Anything else you want to add, Jack? I do not. I think we had a great podcast. I do, too. Again, we want to emphasize that though we had a debate with those of us who, uh, oh, those of you who chose to comment things that disagreed with us, it's just us defending our opinions. We still love you for watching. We really love that. We promise. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this special little Monday edition of the Blasius Bunch. For Jack Sherwanka, I am Chris Blasius. We 
hope we hope we made your day 30 minutes better. See you next Sunday.